Welcome to the Real Education Podcast. I'm Tamara Aspahani, founder and editor-in-chief of Checkpoint and all the subsidiary elements of it. And I'm joined by Chris Winston-Longley, head of learning and development at, oh, education, actually. I can never get your title right, Chris. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you very much. I never get my title right. It's constantly I evolving, I changing, <laughs> moving. I wish I... <laughs> I wish I knew what my job was. Brilliant. Um, first, let's address the elephant in the room. I know that this was called, for those of you that listened to this podcast before, you'll know that it was Designing Digital Literacy, and we'll come on to why we've changed the name of the podcast, the Real Education Podcast, um, in just a, a little while. But we want to thank you for coming back and to apologise for the hiatus. We've been working a lot, um, well, and this is what this this kind of introductory podcast is about, is to relaunch and to tell you what we've been doing for the last year and why we've decided to change the name. But before we get on to any of that, first of all, we know, for those of you that haven't heard us before, welcome. And you're back in school. Everybody's back in school. Everybody's had a summer. We hope it's been restful. We know it probably hasn't <laughs> for, for all of you educators globally. Um, but it's a great time to start talking about what we've been doing over the last year. We've shifted the way the podcast is going to work a little bit because, first of all, Chris and I have always had a real problem with certain words. Um, and anybody that we work with will tell you that, um, that we argue and over the details of words. And digital literacy was something that we both had a problem with for a very long time and we only used the phrase digital literacy initially just to kind of get out there what we were trying to do but Chris digital literacy ed tech those are phrases that we're not keen on um do you want to explain why because <laughs> um, I think I fear I might go on a rant <laughs> I think I think for the same reason that we don't really discuss pens or or typewriters or anything on on this podcast we we're talking about pedagogy and learning and digital is a tool. It's a tool. It's not what it's actually about. It, it's something that needs serious consideration, obviously, in a school because of the internet and because of safety concerns. Of course, it needs looking at. But it is just a tool. And it seems to be taking over that, you know, we must learn digital. We must, you know, teach this digitally. Well, if the content doesn't change and the pedagogy doesn't change, then using a typewriter instead of a pen isn't going to make a much difference apart from speeding it up and making it more legible. Um, it won't change the quality or the, or the content or the inherent value of the education that's going on. And I think we only, we got onto the digital literacy because that was the only window we had in. Using gaming, which of course uses the digital world and digital platforms, it was the only thing that made any sense. And the way that the House of Lords was talking about digital literacy at the time and digital learning fitted with a lot of our ideas. And then, of course, the Welsh and the Scottish education boards took it on. The English ignored it altogether. And, but they, they sort of turned it into what I suppose ICT used to be, like, you know, building spreadsheets. Can you use a website? Can you search safely? Can you and once again turning it into what could be quite dull lessons because it was seen in an end as an end in itself and not as a tool. We use games as a tool to get to something much deeper and we think much more valuable. I think also it's important to note that it's like you say it's about the pedagogy and and i think the definition every i think digital literacy and edtech they have their esports they all have their own definition 
depending on who you're talking to. And that's something that became very clear when we started our relationship with Brunel, which we'll come on to a, a little bit later on, um, is that definition and interpretation of definitions are really, really important. And if you start saying you're doing something and somebody doesn't interpret it or understand it in the way that you're trying to define it, then there's going to be a huge miscommunication, not just in what you're doing, but then the outcomes of what you're applying in class and therefore that has a direct impact on the child so i think sorry can i just interrupt that yeah of course i think i think what happens is that the that the language takes on a life of its own yes because of its application in the society absolutely so digital literacy is now being defined by the the powers that be and the way that they are applying it in schools and so it will come to mean what has been applied in schools yes rather than a broad term means. that we yeah. can actually discuss so we have to be very careful all the time you know we now can't talk about digital learning or digital literacy because people just see it as safety online or using emails yeah. or search engines yeah. or now ai is coming into that yeah um, but it's all being subsumed into the existing education system. Yeah, and nothing. Um, it's all being morphed into a massive blob of nothingness that has no value or meaning. A jack of all trades, but really a master of not, or not well, really I'm, even a jack of all trades. It's 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 just kind of a, a a collective useless knowledge that has no impact in the same way as most people view Pythagoras's theorem when they go right. into the real world. <laughs> I do think. Do you see what I mean? I do. I think the trouble is that the. Um, that we all know, those of us who, who have taught, all know that certain strategies by the government, certain policies, certain things they want to happen, are then turned into booklets or yeah. schemes of work that get delivered by someone during tutor time or once a week when it gets shoehorned into the curriculum. And digital learning will get shoehorned in and it will happen on a Friday between one and two or something. And there will be booklets and the kids will go through the booklets about online safety and they'll be taught by a non-digital learning specialist. Um, and everyone will tick a box. And I in actual fact, the kids will still be just as open to danger, just, just as, as risk laden as they were before they did that. Because, and sorry if this sounds a bit of a bizarre analogy, Criminals actually know what they're doing is against the law and they know prisons exist. They're not in some bubble where they go, oh, I'll rob this bank because there's no consequences. They think if I get caught, I'm going to prison and they try very hard not to get caught. Well, children do exactly the same thing. If they're going to go online and look for things they shouldn't or go down rabbit holes or get enticed by people, there are other motivational factors which are a lot stronger than the booklet they're doing on a Friday afternoon about safety. And that's my worry. I, I think, as you know, I, I taught um, a subject called Opening Minds in school, which was all about collaboration and teamwork and giving the kids control, etc. And the reason that it was limited in its success, I mean, it was successful to a degree, but it was limited because I kept going to the senior management and saying the trouble is that in my lesson once a week, the children get to choose and to guide their own learning and to have agency in the lesson and it all becomes meaningful and they enjoy it. And then they go along to another lesson where they're given a book and told to just answer the questions. And when they ask why or what they're doing, they get the stock, just do what you're told, this is for your GCSE or whatever. And so 
I kept saying, you've got to have a whole school thing. Every teacher has to teach as if they're an opening minds teacher. Maths has to be taught as an exploratory, um, what would you call it, journey of discovery or whatever type subject. Don't just tell them to do it and then... Now, I'm not knocking maths. I mean, it's just a, a subject I've come up with because every subject seems to have textbooks yeah. and teachers can sit back. And we know that good teachers, of course, don't do this. Good teachers actually teach. Yeah. Um, but I... Well, to go back, just to go back to, to a couple of points that you said and, and, and just to kind of... This is exactly why we needed to change the name of the podcast and to relaunch it because... With the work that I think you've done and we've kind of gone into schools, uh, you know, and, and done these things, we thought, well, actually, if we really do want to make an impact, if we really do believe in what we're saying, then we need to kind of evidence it. And interestingly enough, on the 30th of May in 2023, this year, the government released its framework uh, for uh, researching into the impact of video games in education and mental health. Um, now, We'd already, for those of you that have been following us, you know that we've partnered with Brunel University's Faculty of Education and a lot more, actually. Um, and there's some really cool stuff that we're going to be releasing over the, the, the next couple of weeks. Um, by the time you hear this, it might even be out. Um, so, so keep an eye for that. But what we decided to do was kind of figure out that, well, what we didn't decide, what we, it wasn't a decision, was it? It was a realization that we needed to define new terminology that allowed us to explain what we were trying to do because <laughs> we had to get in there first we had, we to, had to well get it's in not there. even that we had to Before. get in there first i think it was more the fact that nobody really has done what we're doing um and therefore trying to communicate what we're doing was it was it was increasingly difficult because the moment we said digital literacy and they're like oh brilliant they had an impression of what it was and even at the starting point with any partnership that we do it it takes people a little while to kind of go aha this isn't actually digital literacy this is actually traditional learning using a different pedagogy that allows the individual no matter what their age and i think this is really important we focused at key stage two because we identified that that age group the ages nine to eleven are a hugely important transitional phase um, and they needed to have confidence in their ability to learn so that they were able to learn in a system that was going to mess them up you know i think as as well that we, we decided on that age group because Primary school teachers are much more open. Yeah, uh, because they're not siloed. Well, in, not only are they not siloed, areas. they're not driven to targets in the same way mm -hmm. as secondary school students yeah. are either. Yeah. Which meant that we can have more time. Yeah. We we have to acknowledge how difficult it is. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. For, for teachers in secondary school to veer away from that that overloaded um, yeah. content. You know, they call it knowledge rich. Uh, the government curriculum. Yeah. Um, you know, to do to do a couple of lessons of hours means that they miss out something from the textbook or whatever that may be necessary. So it, it's very, very difficult However, with the best will in the world for teachers in well, secondary can, to be to they, be doing what we do. They can always retrain in cyber. Why do they need to have any culture? I mean, there's no point, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. So this idea that this was real education. And, and and this isn't just some kind of, you know, lip service, stick a picture of a character on a on a on a lesson plan 
but still provide an inconsistent lesson plan for anything that you do and that's the problem if you look at any of the curriculum providers or any of the resources that are available independently privately taken in by schools there are three huge problems there first of all the amount of work that teachers have to do in order to get them in line with their programs of study within the school and to get them in line with their curriculums and how they want to use them huge problem and they more often than not they have to build the resources from the ground up anyway so that's a problem cost let's not beat around the bush here these things are expensive and if you're paying for something that's expensive and you've blown your budget the majority of your budget on it you're not going to not sit there and not use it <laughs> do you know what i mean so you're in a catch-22 situation either way and the third thing is and probably more important than all of that stuff is is that it doesn't include it's what you were saying earlier it's siloed so you've got this problem where you're not really speaking to other subject leaders about making a holistic approach to um, a subject matter oh and time of course I forgot time teachers time 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 all teachers let's not forget about time they have no time so even if they did do all of this the amount of stress and effort and time that they're going to have to do to get the materials in place to get the resources up and running in scratch to what they're doing and then to be able to deliver it and then to be able to market and then to be able to tweak it for the following year you know I can talk about this because I know this is going on in a school that I'm a governor in and, and it's been ongoing for a year and this is a primary school so so, so there are a lot of kind of obstacles that, that teachers have to overcome in order to deliver something that not, might not even work because the pedagogy isn't sound and the curriculum is not providing a safe outcome for the children. So, yes, that's probably a very brief explanation <laughs> of why <laughs> we've changed brief. the podcast name. Um and where we're going with this and, and where we want to do. So what we chose to do was we started partnering. We've partnered with the United Nations now. So we develop, we deliver on um, sustainable development goals four and nine. Um, we've partnered with Brunel University. We're talking to other universities apart partnering with them. We're working with Cisco Networking Academy at the moment to try to figure out how we can start rolling out our materials globally, which is really exciting. So this podcast aims for us to kind of really discuss the journey and to, to bring in people that we've spoken to for us to share our ideas about how we're evolving uh, the learning materials and, and what we're trying to achieve in the classroom. Actually, I'd, I'd like to make a prediction right now. And it's actually by looking backwards because you talk about the framework that the government has introduced, looking at the use of video games in, in education. They're looking wider than that. They're looking in society and basically how can they get some of the billions? That's what they're interested yeah. in. But they're looking at education as part of this. And we already know what they're going to find. They're going to find exactly what they found when this research was already done 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, because it's all been done. They've looked at video games and how they work in lessons. The, the MIT have been doing it. There's, there's, it's out there. And the point is that in schools, games are different to education. We've said this before. Video, playing video games is not the same as a game written to teach you something. Yes. Uh, they're very, very different things. The expense, as you say, of buying the game and the software and, and all the digital technology you need to run the software. And then the fact that the game has got no targets in it and no national curriculum attainment targets, etc. It's just it's never going to happen. The only way it happens is people like Minecraft, with their vast amounts of wealth, are writing their own education materials, which unfortunately are pretty limited. 
and using their own platform, et cetera, to, to develop certain areas of education. But they're not replacing the curriculum or doing anything particularly new or exciting with it. Um, and I think this is the point. When we say re, uh, what do we call <laughs> reinventing learning or whatever, the real education show, podcast show, the real <laughs> education <laughs> Hey, you never, you never know, Chris. I was going <laughs> Saturday night prime time. Yeah, exactly. Well, live streaming, <laughs> live streaming on your favourite YouTube channel. <laughs> so, um, I, I think the problem with that research is, and what, and this is my point. The problem with all that research is, it's going to find out what it found out before, or it's going to try and shoehorn AI and things into the existing established education system pedagogy and outcomes like how can it help GCSE? Yeah, which is what everybody's been and, doing anyway and nobody's but, taking a risk to change it yeah exactly because the point is that if they do this with an open mind and i'm sorry to be cynical but my prediction is they will not have an open mind if they had an open mind they would genuinely look at video games which brunel have they have all that research and, and they know much more than we do we've done some of the reading of course and they will discover that video games do things in a very particular way for very particular outcomes and they do not align with the national curriculum knowledge rich learn all this middle class english 1904 curriculum they're going to have to change what they see as being a good education yes and interestingly what it's going to have to do what what the gaming will tell them if they do the research properly I think, is that they're going to have to follow what UNESCO say and the United Nations and people, that it's about collaboration, innovation, critical thinking. Now, the government talk about those terms, but they're incompatible with teaching the national curriculum. If your yeah. target is a knowledge-rich GCSE outcome, yeah. you're not interested in critical thinking. You're no. interested in a regurgitation of facts. Yes, and facts that are not useful or helpful that leave the individual more lost than they were in the first place. Because, and culturally And culturally irrelevant. inept, actually. Not irrelevant, inept. Because there is no understanding. I mean, they've stripped out all of the... I mean, I think you were saying that anything that's... If it's not British, it's not in the in the curriculum anymore i mean it's just insane well no if it, no it's not no, no. <laughs> it's in the english one if you in, in english yeah, an sorry. english writer yeah 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 then you can't you, you can't, can't use it. it for thingy but this is all this so this is all pretenses to why um because over the last year we've also learned a lot about learning sciences haven't we chris and we've learned a lot about we've established our tenets so you know we've taken the time to really think about how we want to approach this and you know, over the over the coming weeks, you'll hear from different people, TED teachers, teachers, curriculum leaders, research uh, fellows and partners and and other people from the gaming industry that have seen the impact um, that these lesson plans are doing. And it's a, it's a, it's to try to shift the focus on how we learn. Right. And and what we're doing to learn or what we're doing to try to enable us to learn and video games as Bruno, I think. You'll hear, I think Chris and I probably both agree when, when we've spoken to the academics, when they got it, when they got how it was working, how it wasn't a video game, how it wasn't gamification, how it wasn't tokenization of, of games, how it wasn't just slapping on a gaming character on something just for the sake of doing it. When they understood that you learn when you play games and if you take how you learn in video games and apply it to how you learn 
in anything, not just education, in life, you can overcome things a lot better. And you can see that you are more fortuitous than you have been before. Can you imagine a world where children are as excited about their lesson in school as they are in playing a video game? And the crazy thing is, it doesn't take ed tech, it doesn't take digital literacy, no. it doesn't take taking the game in or letting them play the game. We don't do any of that stuff, none of it. But they still have that enthusiasm because you've given them that agency, you've given them their voice, you've given them something that they understand. Just, just to give you an example of that, I, I don't like to use the term good teachers, this is this thing about language again, because it's then assuming that... that some teachers are bad, and then how do you define that, etc. There are, let's just say there are some teachers who are more focused on the child uh, than others. <laughs> so <I'm just laughs> as nicely as I can. I have, the trouble is that in, the, you know, I don't, as I say, this is not about knocking teachers, but we have all met teachers who really shouldn't be in front of children. Oh, yeah. Um, I've been taught by some of those. Yes, and I've, I've been taught by, and I've met them in schools, and that because all they care about is the subject and passing those exams. Now that's a, that's a, that is a valid opinion. That's that's they can think that because they see the value in the GCSEs and helping the kids through. But I think damage is done along the way. Anyway, so so not to use the term good teachers, but some teachers when they are watching videos. Now this is this is this is just a little example to show what we mean. In the school I was in. The English department used to show video and we used to show video of things like John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men because it would convey to the students who were not so good at reading what was happening in the novel, the plot structures, the characterization. He said it would convey it much, much better because a film, of course, is much more like real life. You're, you're taking in the information visually and orally and hourly. Is that the word? Hourly? <laughs> orally. Hourly, through your ears. Oh, the point is that in the English department, we didn't show whole films in one go and just stare at them. Yeah. What we would do to the annoyance of the children is that we would show five minutes of it and then start asking them questions and rewinding and freeze framing and doing all sorts of things and analysing the film for the messages it was conveying and how that fitted to the messages of the novel and all the rest. Um, and it used to really annoy the children because they go, sir, can't you just play the film? And we go, no, because you're not actively no. engaged. You're passively watching it. This is not, in, you want to watch the film, go home, watch it. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's called um, Romeo and Juliet. It's by Baz Luhrmann. Go watch it. Yeah. But I'm going to freeze frame it at this point, And we're going to look at the position of the actors and what they're wearing and their facial expression. And we're going to discuss it because yeah. that's education. Now, that's how we used to use videos. The management at one point banned the use of videos in classrooms because they'd seen too many teachers switching on the video and then sitting back and letting them run. And English got caught up in that and we had to go to the head and explain and everything and then we got permission to show video clips. Yeah. clips. Now, of course, my term good teachers will of course stop and engage and they will annoy the children you have to annoy children yeah they're not in control in that no. you know, i know we're very child-centered but they're not in control of them no 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 no. we give them the agency but we we give them a sandbox we don't let them just run wild, just we, run wild. it's it's yeah. insane you have yes. to give if you want them to understand and learn you have to give them the parameters and they have to know what's expected of them exactly. nobody's saying run around do whatever the heck you want that's not yeah. the so at point times here. you you annoy them yeah so so 
showing video, a good teacher will stop the video, annoy the kids, freeze frame, maybe print off some pictures, ask them to act it out, where it might go next, etc. They'll do all sorts of things. A less good teacher will just run the video and go, right, now you know Romeo and Juliet, you've just watched it, and they'll assume all sorts of learning has taken place because it's being viewed. And there will have been some. Now, More what, so than if they'd read it, to be what fair. We, what we have pointed out, and as we say, there is nothing new under the sun, what we have pointed out is that video games already do what that good teacher is doing. In a video game, you do not sit, and if you just sit and stare at the screen, nothing will happen. You have to move the character. You have to explore. You have to face challenges. You have to open that door. You have to jump that chasm. You have to, you have to do those things and then deal with what happens. So you are proactively engaged in that video that's playing in front of you, very different to film. And so what we do in our lesson is we will show a segment of a game, of gameplay, and then we will stop it and start analysing and linking it to the national curriculum and linking it. So we're doing proactive learning just the way a video game does. So the children are all, or the students are already used to doing that because they're used to video game. So they're used to it being stopped, etc. What they're not used to is you stopping a film. Yes. They're not used to, you, to interruption of TV, but they are absolutely used to to being engaged and having to proactively deal with a game and freeze it and stop it when they're getting into trouble or die and have to start again and all that and so that's what i mean that's what we use in the lesson we're doing what good teachers always did with video but games already do it and the children already have the skill and the acceptance and and the understanding of what the what would you say the parameters of the learning are? So, so this is exactly what I'm talking about. So actually, I want to kind of pull you back on the word. You say you want to annoy children. You have to annoy them. I think you mean challenge them. And, and when you stop the video, you're challenging them to stop just becoming passive and start engaging with it. And that is exactly as you say, video games do that. You are not a passive viewer in a video game. You have to be active. And that's the point. Because you're more engaged and because you are the protagonist or you are driving the story forward or you're part of a team in a co-op game online or whatever it is, you are a part of that story and you are as part of that outcome. And that is what motivates you to move forward in a video game. It's that drive that allows you. That's the thing that motivates you. You want to continue. You want to push forward. You want to jump that chasm. You want to open that door because you and, want to know what comes next. And you also know that what comes next is going to be a damn sight harder than what came before. But the willing, rewards are going to be better. You are willing to keep yeah. getting better and up your skills. Yeah. I mean, everything the government talks about, they want children to be... Yep is what video gamers are. And all we're doing is taking that mindset, because it is a mindset, and applying that to fully resourced, fully quality assured f lessons that have been approved by academics that are looking at whether or not we are delivering on a pedagogy, not an outcome, because we don't focus on the outcome. And I don't and I think this is where we're a little bit different as well. It's not about the outcome. It's about the pedagogy because the outcome will come if you give the children or the individual the tools to get there. I, I think as well, and that the thing about video games is that as well, that you cannot predict the journey of the player. No. 
If you and I sat down to play the same game, we will make a different journey through that game. We'll yep. look for different things. We'll do different things. Of course, we'll end up in the same place, which with the government is we'll end up at the GCSE because that's what they use. But we will take a different journey. Now, when you are just opening up a textbook in front of children in a science lesson every, and they do you know, read the text, answer the questions in the block, and you're just going through a 300-page textbook for GCSE, where are you varying the journey? Yeah. And what the video game research will hopefully tell the government is that active learning is not an option. It's not an add-on. It's not a, oh, I'm an interesting teacher because once, once a term we do some active learning. Active learning is what it has to be every minute virtually of the lesson. Well, we know that that's what they're going to find because we've already conducted and found and got the research before they've <laughs> even started. So we've already yes. done it. So we know that that's the case. So why are we doing this? Hang on, have we missed out on funding? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think funding's even open yet. Um, oh. But the point is, is that why are we doing this? And the reason that we're doing this is because we, we recognise that there is, look, there's a need for the education system, not just in this country, but globally to change. There are big issues that need to be dealt with. Climate change, socioeconomic disparity, all of the things, the way in which we look at each other. You know, there's a population growth. We need to understand that we cannot continue the way that we do and we have to work together. We can't have this localised idea of, 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 of what we are and what our cultural capital is and how that defines our curriculum because then we're not prepared for a global society and globalization has brought that we have to be collaborative we have to work together and we have to all be a global community if we want it to work how better than to change the global education system with a global ubiquitous language in the shape of video games video game ip there's not a single child or even adult now i would wager that doesn't know who sonic is or who mario is who doesn't know who lara croft is you know these are iconic figures minecraft everybody plays minecraft we're not talking about some niche little thing now we're talking about using the successes that that industry has created and with engaging with the human mind and using that to unlock the ability for us to learn better I, th I think the point is that gaming is, <laughs> I don't know what the word for it is, I'm, I'm lost for language now. This gaming is why we had to do the research, guys, because we have to yeah, come up with a whole new set of vocabulary. <laughs> but gaming is the zeitgeist. That, that it, it is, gaming is what, gaming is the one unifying, the one global the one all-encompassing... And it unifies, thing. Chris... What else does that? Reading can I just that Can library? I just say that? No, no, can I just also say gaming, gaming also unifies all the other industries. Film and music and narrative design and game design and user interface. It unifies everything. Film is its own right, and yes, it has a crossover with maybe some technology and maybe music. Music, same as a little bit on the other way around, but not in the way that gaming does it. Gaming I, unifies everything. I seriously hope that, that we don't end up with literary gaming, you know, literature gaming yes. and art house gaming. Yes. And like the film, yes. you know, because the end, to be honest with you, I mean, I've got a film degree. It's part, partly in film. And... You end up watching some very, very bizarre, unwatchable films and then saying how brilliant they are. For the sake of being and culturally for acknowledged. The sake of being, exactly. Yeah. And the same with literature. I actually prefer Agatha Christie to D.H. Lawrence, personally. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I like easy to read, um, 
not educational, um, although it is. It teaches you it's all about the sorts of things about the 1950s. It's, but it's passive information. That's the thing. Um, but it's, yeah, I think the thing with gaming is as well that, that people don't seem to realise until you tell them and then that sort of light goes on. You don't know who the player is. And so you don't know what colour, ethnicity, religion, gender. I mean, you talk about identities now. You don't know the identity of a player. They could they could identify as anything. Go on. And to, it I mean, doesn't matter, matter because it's yeah. the game that you're playing. Yes. And so it's it's incredibly um, inclusive. Inclusive. I was going to say equitable. It is equitable. Yes. It's and it, it's, and and it's liberating. Yes, and the fact is that you, for all you know, that person on Fortnite who just hammered you is a seven-year-old. Oh yeah, oh you yeah. No, it's happened no to idea. me. It's happened to me. I'm not going to lie, but isn't that amazing? It's a level playing field, and it's what you put in is what you get out. Okay, I'm a little bit older. My reflect my reflexes aren't as good as they used to be. Granted, however, that's not the point, and that's not why I'm playing it. But That's the, the difference. That, I'm not playing it mature, for that. And I don't mean maturing in... Um, I'm not attaching any value judgments to that. What I mean is as you mature by a, play, with a, by a player, you will probably change the sorts of games you're playing. You'll stay loyal to some. Yeah. But you will... Other ones will be a memory trip and you'll play golf or something and go, oh, I remember playing this 20 years ago or whatever. But you will mature and you will play... Because the other thing that people are very unaware of is that there are millions of games out there covering millions of genres. Yeah. It's yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, you name it, there's a game out there doing it. Now, yeah. they're not... The trouble is the mainstream, very popular games, like Grand Theft Auto, etc., are are sort of promoted by the industry and they're out there. Um, but there are millions of games enjoyed by millions of players which are niche games. Yeah. Um, and so you can always find a game and you can always find a community. You can always find... And it's not just that. Gaming is accessible. That's the other thing that people forget when we talk about gaming. Access to gaming is accessible. You can download a development kit and start building your own game on, on, yeah. on a free development tool. And it can be done. And you can go to game jams and meet other people. And like, You can't do that with other industries. It's almost impossible to. You can create... Well, you niche. try being published. You try yeah. writing oh, a novel geez. and being published. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They only... And then you look at Kindle publishing where people are doing things independently and the irony of that is I suppose like in the music industry if you get picked up on that then you get a big deal yeah. and it's just kind of like and that's validating the mainstream and this is the problem with educate we come back to it and we were at BET, we were at the World Education Forum or whatever it was, all of these different things that we went to. And you said it to me. I, I hadn't noticed it as I was running around and trying to make connections and talk to people about it. You said to me, the problem is, is that everybody we talk to says, what you're doing is amazing. This is exactly, we believe in everything that you do. And then you look at what they're doing and all they're doing is servicing an already failing system without challenging it because unfortunately, unfortunately, they're businesses and they're trying to keep afloat or provide a service or they've had a grant to do something. So it's a justification. There's no to real be change. With you, a lot of them, as I say, I like, I'm trying to be reasonable here. We have some criticism of some, obviously, which I wouldn't voice. But, you know, you're trying 
to get kids to do a curriculum that we've already said that is outdated. They're not really engaging with it. Culturally, they're not engaging with it. it it's not a global education national curriculum. Um, it has all sorts of limitations. It's more exclusive than it is inclusive. And so these people, these companies are trying to make that easier for kids. They're trying to make it easier for the teachers. They're trying to make it easier for the kids. Unfortunately, we need to, to throw them out along with <laughs> the system. Um, I know we're doing a gradual change. I, I don't agree in any revolution that throws away everything because you end up with new problems that you never even saw. But I think the education system has to wake up and certainly the education minister has to wake up ministers uh, let's not blame just, it on just one because okay, so it is, it's, is a it's, it's a failure of all ministers um but well everyone that we've had yeah um because they're not willing to question their ideology they're not willing to to do anything that seems to attack the establishment but, but which is crazy because Steve Jobs attacked the establishment. Richard Branson attacked the Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton. They all did. <laughs> I'm not saying that we're in the same league, but the point is, is that these are the people that made a difference and they're the one. And there are people in the system that could be doing this. And I don't know why they're not because doing it. Because they're fearful. They're driven by fear. They think they're going and this to. Is, this they, is. Well, I, I think I'm going to I'm going to put it out there for criticism. I am pretty sure that the education system does not trust children. It doesn't trust them to learn. It has to interfere with them. It doesn't trust them. It doesn't trust them to guide them and to believe that they... It's a bit like when people... This may be a bit politically sensitive, but it's like a while ago, there was an awful lot of stuff about benefits and people on benefits and how lazy they were and how they sit about and they take all this money from us um, while they sit about and do nothing. I personally don't believe that human beings want to be inactive, that no. they don't want to have a purposeful life, that no. they don't want to contribute. I think people get trapped in certain situations. I think that there comes a point where it doesn't become viable for you to work or you're, you're ill and you can't work. And therefore, but this idea that anyone on benefits is some sort of awful person who should try harder or, or do better or that is ridiculous. It, it's and I think the same in education. I think that they people think that if you walk away from a class of children, they will riot. Now, the trouble is in this in the established education system where they are held under the thumb and controlled and every minute is controlled and directed. Of course, the minute that you open, you know, you shut the door on them, they're going to riot because they've suddenly been let free. Well, can I just pick you but up on something? It, I don't think the trust, you said something about trust. I don't think trust they, the they don't trust, trust the students. students would learn. I don't think that's the case. I think the government doesn't trust the teachers. I don't think it's about the students. The student, the whole point in our first tenant is the child should be the centre of everything that is done. I don't think it's even about that. I think it's the government that doesn't trust the teachers because the teachers do want to make a difference. They know how to speak to the children, uh, but they're not allowed to deliver in the way that they're supposed to deliver. And I think yeah. that's the exact problem that we have. And there's no trust in it, which leads us to why we're doing this podcast, because I, we want to reach we want to reach the teachers. This has I think to you're happen. Making, Sorry, go on. You're making a very valid point, And it's why we're looking at Brunel with the CPD. Yeah. But the early careers framework and the initial teacher education yeah. is the way it's being taught 
is not going to produce teachers who are going to be open and knowledgeable. All, all the teachers of my age who were pre-national curriculum and pre all these constraints and who sort of knew they were good and bad teachers then, obviously, but they they had different ways of teaching, different um, experiences. If you now have graduates going into schools which Who are following the early careers framework, they're going to be churned out yep. to satisfy the national curriculum in Ofsted, which means that they won't recognise that children no, can No, and I, I think I disagree with you a little bit there because if you give them the agency and give the trust back to them, they will find it. It's their vocation. And I think that's the difference. And I think if you give them the tools, which is what we're trying to do, then that will inspire them because they'll see the inspiration in the children themselves. I, uh, I hope that's true because and, what I, yeah, I, I do and that's think. Where, and, that's where, and that's where I'm going yeah. with this because we, ca we ca you can't change, as you say, you can't revolutionise it from the top. There's too much institutional, uh, uh, you know, bureaucraticness surrounding all of this stuff. So how do you do it? Well, this is why we're doing the podcast, because we want to reach all of you teachers. We want to reach all of the people that are interested in education. We want to reach and have discussions. So over the coming weeks, we'll be talking to Professor uh, of Education, Professor Mike Watts from Brunel University, who was our first port of contact uh, there, who we spoke to. We were speaking to Dr. Asma and Dr. Kate um, uh, Hoskins as well from there, um, discussing all of the learnings that we found. We'll be talking to people from outside the industry. We'll be talking to developers. We'll be talking to teachers, head teachers, all of the good stuff so that we can try to make it relatable because the movement has to come it has to be a grassroots movement it's not going to happen and if everybody has the tools to do it i think it'll change and it'll just change naturally and it doesn't matter then what the government or what ofsted or what anybody says to an extent because people will know how to combat it they'll have the tools to be able to deliver what they need i think you're right i think my hope is as you were talking a moment ago i think you're right i mean i do have fears about teachers and about satisfying ofsted and, and all the rest but i think you're right teachers join the profession because it's a vocation and they want to make a difference and when the system is stopping them doing that and frustrating them and they're leaving it in droves as we know because they get frustrated and they can't make that difference if we can begin to open those doors and begin to show that a difference show is options coming, and there are options. options and we are only we keep saying this to everybody we are only one way of using video games it's just we it's are me, a solution it's me and you and paul the it's, three of us yeah. doing this a solution with, with, of not course, the solution the the expert support from yeah. and collaboration from brunel which is i mean it's unbelievable that we have that i mean if nothing else it saves you and i doing what 80 years of education <laughs> i know right <laughs> <laughs> we just go i mean that you said it earlier and i was going to pick up on it when you talked about um science what did you call it science the science of learning Learning sciences, I think. Learning yeah. sciences, yes. The learning sciences. You see, I'm not even au fait with those terms yet. But the learning sciences, and what I discovered was by talking to uh, Professor Mike Watts. Is it Professor or Doctor? I professor. He's Professor, okay. and then it's Dr. Cade and Dr. Dr. Cade, <laughs> right. So, uh, Professor Mike Watts, when I spoke to him about the learning sciences, what we discovered is that they were just academic terms for what we were already doing. 
Yeah. So in actual fact, they looked at our lesson plans. He goes, oh, you're doing this. Oh, you're doing this. And all these learning sciences, which have been written about by academics and there's papers on them and For they're, proven, they're yeah. proven to work, etc. I'd come at them from a pragmatic teaching experience side. Oh, well, if you allow children to do this or you follow, you know, video games like this, this happens. And then wonderfully, um, Professor uh, Watts could just say, Oh, well, that's the learning sciences. That's that's this and this and this. So we should just call him Mike. He got, I think he gets in Mike. We call him <laughs> well, I'm trying to be respectful so I don't annoy him when he stops helping. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to keep. I, I think they're fine. I think I it's I great. don't want to have to do an MA and then adopt. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I discovered the other day, out of all things, this is a slightly personal gripe, but I thought I, I need to do an MA in education to back up some of my ideas and things and do all that. There's no funding after 60. Well, because I'm 63, I've been written off. So a government that forces you to work until you're 67, talks about the aging population, how people need to carry on working, decides to provide. write me off and I can't learn anymore after 60. Yeah. After, and you're taking people with a lifetime of experience who then want to look at that academically and then maybe shift their perspective slightly and have wisdom. I'm not saying I'm wise, but I'd say have, have wisdom and experience and academic learning. At the age of 60, you could get that MA in two years. And then at 63, you could be back in feeding into the system yeah. with your experience and your knowledge. And you still got four years before retirement. Yeah. Why is this government so blinkered? That's that's what gets me. They they are so narrow minded and children aren't. And you, so, the United Nations aren't. UNESCO, you talk about sustainability goals. You cannot sustain a blinkered approach to life because it won't let you. Join us on our other podcast, How the Government Should Be Better. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. Hopefully this gives you a bit of an idea of where we're going and what we're doing with uh, the Real Education Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. We've got a load of evidence and research and stuff um, that's already available. We've got a number of uh, lesson plans. If you guys want to go check them out, please go check them out at uh, www.checkpointkids.com. You can follow the portal from there you, if you want to teach people at home. So if you're home educators, there's stuff there for you as well. But the lesson plans are all on there. They're all free. Everything that we do is free. Um, so make sure you check them out. And m please, if you have anything to say or if there's something that you want us to discuss or you want us to bring up with people, um, our guests that are coming up in the next couple of uh, weeks and months uh, and over the course of the podcast, please do get involved in the conversation. You can find us on all the social media platforms at Checkpoint Magazine or Checkpoint Kids, depending on where you're going. Um, join us next week when our guest will be M Professor Mike Watts. We uh, we talked to uh, Mike about how we've kind of got in touch and and how this process started and where our thinking was and and hopefully it should give you guys a little bit more of an insight into how the uh, the research has been carried out and what we've done and we've 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 come out the end of it now so yeah join us next week share like um subscribe do all of the do all of those social media things um and let us know if you've got anything to say thanks very much for listening thank you chris for your time you're welcome The Real Education Podcast was a Magdix Media production for Checkpoint Magazine.